our children for marriage. And um, I, I've, I hope it's been a help to you as we've talked about these things and uh, gone through some of them to, uh, to help you help your children. Uh, but hopefully they've been a help to you. And I think that's going to be a little bit more of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, not just, um, can, we're going to finish off this series tonight. We'll start into something new next week. But um, I'm not going to take the time. Uh, this, this last little section that we've been doing, and I think this might be the fourth in, in that little section on advice to our children for dating. Um, a lot of, it's just advice. I mean, most of it's not hard and fast rules and things like that, but um, some of them are, and, and uh, would be very wise for you to take that advice and use it, uh, not just for helping your children find the person that God wants them to marry, but also for you having a great marriage. That's the whole purpose, right? Marriage was an institution that was ordained by God from the very beginning. Uh, it's, it's an institution that he ordained before he ordained the church, before he ordained government, before he ordained any of those other things. He ordained marriage. And uh, so it's very, very important. And who you marry uh, has so much to do with, with how the rest of your life is going to go. And so I've done uh, 31 things that we've talked about, and I'm going to give you up to number 40 today. And then we'll finish off and, and start into something else. But let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things here tonight. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. I pray for those that are gone, some that are sick. God, I pray that you help them to get well. Those that are traveling, I pray that you keep them safe. And God, I pray that you just uh, help our time to be profitable around your word tonight. We'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get right into number 32 then tonight. And that is this, study marriage. Study marriage. Uh, this is advice to our children for dating, but this is also advice to us uh, who are already married and who already have families even for that matter. But Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, I just I picked this verse because there's so many verses in the Bible that talk about marriage and the family and the importance of that institution. Uh, but the Bible says in, in verse number 4 of Hebrews chapter 13, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. But I think that first, that first part of that verse is so important and really, really gives the, um, the importance that God places on marriage, but the beauty that God places on marriage. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. It's amazing to me that, that broadly speaking, a lot of people put little to no effort into studying the single most important aspect of their life, humanly speaking. Now, obviously, your relationship with Christ is the most important aspect of your life. And uh, your, um, your walk with him is the most important aspect of that. But humanly speaking, uh, people will read hundreds of articles on, on how to eat, you know, this diet and that thing. And what's the best thing for you to eat? They'll listen to podcasts on, you know, hours of lectures on academic subjects, whatever it happens to be. Or, you know, download lots of different podcasts about how to have a better business or how to be a better business person person or whatever else, but they never once crack open a book about marriage. And what a shame that is. Marriage is the most important thing that you have, uh, if, especially if you're married. But if you're looking forward to being married, the most important you'll, decision you'll ever make is to trust Christ as your Savior. Uh, there is no more important decision than that. But once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the second most important decision is deciding who you're going to marry. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of important decisions. Where you go to college is important. Where you uh, where you, uh, what you do for a career is important, where you go to church is important. But none of those things are affected as much as the person you marry. Who you marry has a huge impact on what you will become, what your potential is, uh, where you go to church, what your career is. I mean, all of those things are wrapped up in that. 
So it's so important because it affects every other aspect of your life for your entire life. But comparatively speaking, especially today, an enormous amount of attention is given to planning the wedding and making sure all those details are right and everything else and so little on the actual marriage itself. People who, who don't do their homework, who don't study on their own, never improve. They never grow, right? That's why it's so important, kids, that you do your homework. It's so important that you study. And I know you don't want to hear somebody say that, especially when we're not in school, uh, but it's true. And the same is true with us in, in, our, in our lives. If anything is worth studying, marriage is worth studying. So study it. Read books about it. Talk to people who do it well. Talk to people who, have, uh, who, who, at least looking at it from the outside, seem to have a good marriage. What do they do that keeps their marriage good, that keeps it exciting, that keeps it enjoyable? Right? I've, I've heard several people, and, and, and a lot of times they say it tongue-in-cheek, but to all humor, there's an element of truth. Right? When uh, somebody's getting ready to get married and they say, oh, it's the old ball and chain for you. You better enjoy your last week of freedom. Right? And, and I don't know, a lot of times they're just joking, um, but like I said, to all humor, there is an element of truth. And that's the way a lot of people look at it. Some, you know, a lot of people look at it that way. You're, uh, you're, not, you're not joining together with somebody to, to make your lives better. You're joining together so you can be in prison the rest of your life, right? That's the way a lot of people look at it. That's not, way, that's not the way God designed to, marriage to be. God designed marriage to be enjoyable. God designed marriage to be a wonderful thing. It doesn't have to be the old ball and chain, uh, the, the way that a lot of people look at it. But talk to people who have failed at it. Uh, it's, it's something that, that people don't like to talk about a lot of times, and they're not just going to throw it out there. But there's a lot of mistakes that people make that they wish they could tell somebody else, hey, this is what I did, and, and, and I wish I didn't. This is what you need to do you know, that, I, you know, that I didn't do, or this is what you should do that I did, shouldn't do that I did, and, and so on. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there like that who'd be glad to talk to somebody who is looking, genuinely looking for advice. But when you, you know, especially as you get older, listen to podcasts about it. Search the scriptures for knowledge about marriage. Nothing in your life is going to be more important than who you marry. So study it. Study marriage. And let me say that you should study marriage for your entire life. You don't study marriage up till the day you get married, and then all of a sudden you don't have to know anything else about it anymore. You know, I, I realize this is advice about dating, but some things cannot be stressed enough. Marriage is something that you should study for the rest of your life. There's topics that, that I didn't know a lot about, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, the Word of God. When it, you know, I mean, something that you can study, learn, and then, and then move on from because you know it now, right? And, and you, you know, when, especially when it comes to the Word of God, you're not always going to know everything there is to know. But when it comes to eschatology or music or sanctification or ecclesiology or those kind of things, there were things that I didn't know about. I studied them out. I learned about them. Now I know about them, and I can move on and study something else, another topic. But um, I do understand them for the most part, and I'm, and I'm moving on to study something else. But there are a few things that, that I have to constantly study, no matter how much I have learned about the subject before that. The art of pastoring is one of those. The art of leadership is another one. You can never get enough. Uh, you can never do enough study. You can never learn enough about being a pastor, at, at least in my position. You never learn enough about leadership in my position. Uh, the life of Christ, that's another one that you, you can just study endlessly and you'll always learn something else about it. And marriage, parenting, family relationship dynamic, that's another one of those things that you'll, you'll never exhaust. You'll never know everything there is to know about it. So you should constantly be learning, constantly be studying. 
Study marriage now while you're planning for marriage and preparing for marriage, but once you've gotten to the marriage altar, then keep studying it. Keep studying marriage. Solomon, you look through the book of Proverbs, you look through even Ecclesiastes and some after that. Solomon begged us to find wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to chase it down the same way that a hunter chases down his prey, right? Kevin, have you ever gone out and shot one deer and said, that's enough? <laughs> no, you, you shoot one and it gives you the bug and you want to go get more, right? Uh, I've got three that I can tag out at. I'm going to go get all of the ones I can get. Same thing with turkeys or, or fishing or any of those other things, right? So if we're supposed to pursue wisdom the way that a hunter pursues his prey, then that means we should, we should never be satisfied with it. We should constantly be pursuing more and wanting more of it. Uh, no hunter is ever satisfied with one kill. He always picks up his gun to go out and get another one. But it, but it ought to be that way with us. Chase wisdom about marriage. And when you found it, you've, you've got a little bit more of it. But that, that should give you just even a greater desire to know more, right? You, you'll never exhaust what there is to know about marriage and family and relationships and your wife or your husband. You'll never exhaust that. So constantly study and constantly uh, seek to know more about it. Preparing for marriage is much more important than preparing for the wedding ceremony. And so many people skip that part of it and end up uh, miserable and wonder why they're miserable after they're married. And it's, it's simply because we need to be studying marriage. Here's another one. Number 33, this would be. Uh, and this kind of, kind of goes right along with that. But after marriage, never stop dating. You know, this is advice to somebody who is looking to getting married. But this is advice to us who are. Uh, so many people uh, spend so much time and effort and, um, you know, money even pursuing their date. I'm trying to win that girl's heart. I'm trying to win that guy's heart, so I'm going to write him letters, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and all right, we got to the marriage altar. Now I can stop doing all that stuff. No, it should, be, it should not be that way. You should continue that after you're married. And at the beginning, uh, and it's been a few weeks ago, I gave you the, the definition of dating. A date is any specific period of time in which the two of you are purposely getting together in order to enjoy each other's company, to get to know each other better, pay attention to each other. And obviously in that context, it's referring to, to romantic dating. But once you get married, you should still want to do all of those things, right? Get together in order to enjoy each other's company. Get together to know each other better. Get together to pay attention to each other. That's, that, that is one of the foundational elements of marriage. And if you're not doing that after you get married, your marriage is going to fall apart very quickly. But if that want to gradually wears away, then realize there's a need uh, there's a need to underneath it. You've got to spend time together. You've got to spend time pursuing each other even after you're married. A marriage is a living, breathing thing. And any living, breathing thing that's, con that's not constantly being fed is going to die no matter how well fed it was in the beginning. Right? You, can, you can take a very healthy dog, and if you stop feeding it, eventually it's going to die. Didn't matter how healthy it was before you started, you've got to constantly feed that thing if you're going to keep it healthy, right? And a marriage is the same way. You've got to constantly feed it if you're going to keep that marriage healthy. Your Christianity is that way, but your marriage is that way too. Being purposefully together feeds it, strengthens it, nourishes it, so keep doing that. After marriage, never stop dating. Number 34, if you're away from home and dating... Find a counselor that you trust to bounce things off of, big or small. Um, and that's not just, I think that's wise not just with dating. I think it's wise in a lot of things. 
Now, still, nobody knows you better or loves you more than your parents. Um, so, so they should still be the first ones that you go to, but you, you might be off at college somewhere, and, uh, or you might have moved out of state somewhere for a job or something like that, and you meet somebody in a church somewhere who your parents don't know. It's very hard for them to give you advice about somebody that they don't know. But somebody there is going to be a counselor, whether it's a pastor if you're in a church and out of state, or whether it's somebody that, that's there at the college, the, the dean of students, or something like that. Somebody knows that person. And so get that advice. Find out who that person is. Technology has changed a lot in the last uh, 20 years since I was dating. Now, um, text messages had, had come on the scene by that point, but that was still when you had to do like ABC, DEF. It was hardly worth sending a text at that point. You know, it took you 15 minutes to type your little 60 characters or whatever you were allowed to have in a text message. You know, I mean, now people's thumbs are going 100 miles an hour and they're back and forth and back and forth and you can FaceTime. You can, I mean, there are so many things out there that you can do that have just completely changed the way people date, honestly. We didn't have FaceTime when I was dating, and I, and I was, you know, we were a long distance away from each other. It would have been nice to have been able to do that, but we were back and forth with emails and texting and phone calls and things like that. But you can still uh, stay in close contact with your parents if you're living somewhere else that, that camps can't substitute for somebody that's actually uh, present there with you. And, and that's what I'm saying by find a counselor, find somebody you trust, find somebody that, that maybe you've gotten a little bit closer to. Uh, somebody said the pantry of wisdom must contain the can of counsel. And with that, without that, your, your pantry is never going to be stocked. And uh, you need that. Find somebody you respect who knows you reasonably well, who knows maybe the person you're interested in reasonably well, and is wise and spiritual and carries authority in those things, and then seek their counsel. Don't do whatever they tell you. That's not counsel. That's a cult. But when somebody tells you something and gives you that counsel, you ought to seriously consider it. Right? They don't know God's will for your life. Only you know God's will for your life. They can, they can show you, hey, this is a red flag. I don't, I don't know if that's God's will for your life. You ought to really think about that. I would never try to tell somebody what God's will is for their life. I have a hard enough time trying to figure out what it is for me let alone trying to tell somebody else what it is. I cannot tell you what God's will is for your life. But counsel is showing somebody the red flags and saying, I would be careful with that. Uh, that's, that's a red flag. That might be something you need to seriously consider. It might be, might be something you need to think about a little bit more. Pay attention to what they tell you and use their counsel wisely. It'll, it'll really help if they also know the person you're dating. And in some cases, you might feel more comfortable with somebody else who doesn't really know that person and if that's the case, then maybe you need to find somebody who does to give you a little bit more of advice. The whole point is not just to say, I did that. The whole point is to get that counsel and to get that wisdom and to understand the person that you're, trying to, uh, that you're dating with the intention of marrying. Romantic relationships are, are, are complicated and important, and that's why counsel is necessary. But it's, it, it's, it's very hard for somebody to give you some insight about somebody that they don't know. So find somebody... Um, as a counselor who ideally knows both of you and can give you that counsel. Here's number 35, and, and I want you to turn over to Genesis 39 for this. Your integrity and your testimony and your future are much more valuable than the fun that comes from breaking the rules. Now, those rules can be rules that you've agreed to follow because you're at a college somewhere that has rules, or you're at home, 
and your parents have rules, or you've set some boundaries for yourself, which I think all three of those are necessary. You need to have, you need to be in a place. If you're going to a college where there are no rules, you're in the wrong place. You need to have those rules. Oh, this is perfect. Nobody's, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want to. That's not good. That's not good. Because when you can do whatever you want to, you're going to. And more than likely, you're going to step outside of the bounds of what the Bible tells you you should and should not be doing. If you are, are looking for a place where there are no rules, then you're looking for a way out of what the Bible is uh, instructing us to do or not to do. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. But whether you've agreed to follow the rules in a college or at your parents' home, or whether you have set some boundaries for yourself as a couple, rules matter even when they don't. And, and why is that? It's because who you are and what you become by keeping those rules or by violating those rules matters, in addition to whatever it was that was important for why they came up with that rule in the first place, right? Every rule has a name attached to it, no matter where you are. Somebody did something that made them write that rule, and there's a reason that it's there. Now, it may not specifically apply to you, but you agreed to follow it when you put yourself under whatever authority that was. And the whole point is your integrity and your testimony, your future are much more valuable than the fun that comes from breaking those rules. Remember Joseph, right? We have the story of Joseph in, in Genesis, but, but in, in Genesis 39, we have one there that, that we're all pretty familiar with. Joseph was given basically second command in the entire nation. And Potiphar uh, was a very, well, second command in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a very powerful general. And he had the complete rule of Potiphar's house, which would have been a very, very prestigious position. And every single day, Potiphar's wife would come to Joseph and try to seduce him. And Joseph just kept saying, no, 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 no. Now, look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 9. This is what Joseph said to her. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he, talking about Potiphar, his master, kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, what, a, what an important, important thing Joseph pointed out here. And I know he did it on purpose under the, you know, under the leadership of, of, under God's leadership. But no one would have ever known more than likely. Joseph was not at home, not under his parents' leadership, not in a place where anybody cared about that kind of stuff at all. In fact, that wickedness was everywhere. Joseph never would have gotten in trouble. Joseph probably never would have gotten found out. But not only did Joseph value his character above his own gratification, he valued his walk with God. Do you notice what Joseph said? He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Well, he didn't say that. I mean, he was obviously concerned. I mean, there's nothing that he's kept back from me except his wife. I, how can I do this thing against Potiphar? Right? What if he finds out? What about all those other things? But he wasn't worried about any of those other things as much as he was worried about his relationship with God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He said, keep your character and your integrity and your future in view when temptation comes. You'll thank yourself later. You'll thank yourself later. You won't have that regret to look back on and wish you didn't have it. Your integrity and your testimony and your future are much more valuable than the fun that comes from breaking the rules. Number 36, don't be stupid, but never settle. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second, but let me read you this quote. Tom Brennan wrote a book on pastoral transitions. 
But he, he had a great illustration in here that he talked about when it came, comes to marriage. He said this, learn the difference between adjusting and settling in college. Or, or in college, I searched the scriptures for what kind of wife I ought to pursue and how I ought to pursue her. She never materialized, no matter how hard, how hard I worked at it, but I refused to settle. Plenty of girls ran the halls with their hand held out, metaphorically begging some guy to put a ring on it. I wanted no part of them. I had a pretty good understanding of what the arc of my life and my family's life required, and I was not about to settle for less because I was lonely or desperate or frustrated. So I did not. As I write this on Sunday afternoon at my dining room table, my wife sits three feet away from me, and I'm thrilled that I did not settle for less. By the same token, to use the example of my transition from one pastorate to another, it would be unwise to settle for some quick opportunity just because it was available. It was wise for me to adjust some of my expectations. I had to let go of some of the things on my I'd like to have list. I had to realize some of my expectations were unrealistic, and I had to discern how to do that while at the same time not settling for less than God's best. By that I mean this, so, so don't be stupid but never settle. If, if your idea of not settling is marrying a billionaire son, right, that's, that's just stupid. Don't be, don't be stupid. Well, I'm not going to marry anybody unless he, he's a billionaire. Oh, that's, that's, that's unrealistic, right? It's, 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 uh, honestly, it's dumb to have that as an expectation, right? I mean, how many billionaires are there in the, the world, let alone in the United States, let alone in your circle of friends, right? You're probably not going to, I mean, it's an expectation that you're going to be sitting there not married 50 years from now because some billionaire son didn't come along and marry you. But don't water down your convictions or your convictions of what is absolutely necessary in a husband or a wife just because you're tired of being lonely. That's what I'm saying. Don't be stupid, but don't settle. God, you, you have got to have a set of standards that you are, are going off of. You have to have a set of convictions, obviously, that you live by. So don't set the standard so high that, that nobody can reach that standard, including you. But don't, don't just settle either because you're desperate. And I've said it several times already, but the most important decision of your life is who you're going to marry. So don't be stupid, but don't settle. Number 37. This is for the guys and the girls. Guys must keep in mind what kind of homemaker she'll be. Girls must keep in mind what kind of provider he's going to be. And I know how terribly old-fashioned it is for me to say that. Um, oh, it's so old-fashioned. I, I accept that it's old-fashioned, uh, a husband to be a provider and a wife to be a homemaker. But we see that in the Bible, right? We, we see that those are the roles that, that, for the most part, God laid out for husband and wife, uh, father and mother, but I also happen to think that that old-fashioned approach is biblical and it's practical, right? Having said that, it, it, it follows that if you choose to hold the same view of marriage uh, as I do, that, that this instruction matters. Finding a, a, a young lady who will be a homemaker matters. Finding a young man who will be a provider matters. You know, she, she might be cute and fun and funny, but coming home to a filthy house and unkempt children gets old pretty quick. Right? Same thing with a husband. I mean, he, he may be dashing and handsome, but constant financial pressure gets old just as quick. And, and if, you, if you marry somebody who's not a provider, you marry somebody who's not a homemaker, both of you are going to be miserable. Uh, nothing you discover in dating can determine how well the other one is going to do in either one of those things. As you date, you're not going to know necessarily how good of a provider this man is going to be as your husband. You're not going to know how good of a, a homemaker this lady is going to be as your wife. But you can look for clues, and you can pay attention to what those clues are telling you. 
And the next two points are, are questions that you have to ask yourself over and over and over and over and over while you're dating. This is number 38. Ask yourself a million times, what kind of parent will they be? What kind of parent will they be? There's no project in your life that's going to take you more work, more effort, more worry, more blood, sweat, tears than parenting your children. And you don't do it alone. You don't do it alone. It takes a husband and a wife. It takes a mother and a father. So this person you are marrying is going to be the second half of the one that raises your children with you. You better beg God that you don't have to do it alone. But it's a joint project. One God designed that way. It takes a mother and a father. It makes sense then that the other parent in, in this project along with you needs to be biblical in their thinking and in their practice. They need to know how to balance mercy and truth. They need to know how to work together as a team. They need to know and do a thousand other things. right? And, 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 and it's one thing that a lot of people don't consider at all when they're considering their life's mate. What type of parent is this person going to be? Because you think about this. Most young people pay very little attention to that aspect of marriage when they're dating. But it has enormous implications in your marriage choice, honestly. If you marry a, a wonderful husband, but he's an awful father, you're going to have a, a, a difficult life. You're going to have a, a rough marriage. It's, you're going to have heartache that's going to haunt every single day of the second half of your life. You only have those kids for 18 years or so, maybe a few more years past that, but it is, is, isn't just what kind of man is he, it's what kind of man is he going to raise? How is he going to, to, to raise his children? How is he going to raise his boys? Does he have the temperament? Does he have the patience? Does he have the perseverance? Does he have the stubbornness, the compassion, the wisdom, the leadership, the commitment that's necessary to be a good father, or doesn't he? Because he's the second half of this parenting project, if you will, and the same is true of a wife. If you fail at raising your children, you're going to spend a lot of sleepless nights pacing the floor, begging God to change their heart and begging God to bring them back, wondering where you went wrong, wishing you could go back and change it and not being able to. So who you marry, whether they're a good parent or not, matters, and that's something that you need to consider. And again, you're never going to know the type of parent that they're going to be until they're actually a parent. But there's a lot of things that you can look at that will give you an indication of whether or not they're going to be a good parent or not. And you better pay attention to those things. Number 39 is this, and you should ask yourself even more, what kind of Christian will they be? Again, I, I don't know what it's like to live in a home where two people don't walk together. I mean, my parents did it. They loved the Lord. They loved each other. That's what we're trying to do in my own home. So having said that, I, I have some idea of just how difficult marriage is has been all of these years just the same, right? Marriage is not an easy thing, even when both of you are walking in the, right, in, in, in the same direction and walking together. Um, doing that does not necessarily make marriage easy, but marriage and, and all that surrounds it is such a difficult thing that I could not imagine doing it if both of you were not walking to, in the same direction spiritually. And so I've said it many times before that, that you, you shouldn't even consider marrying somebody who is not a Christian, but you, should, you, should, you really shouldn't consider somebody who is not a good Christian. Because if you're going in the wrong direction, 
you're going to be constantly butting heads. I mean, could you imagine if your idea is we need to take our kids to church and raise them in church, and your spouse doesn't care and won't come with you and won't be a part of that and won't read the Bible to them and won't take part in the family devotions and won't pray with them and won't do those things. Imagine how difficult that is. And now imagine how difficult it would be if they're actually pushing the exact opposite thing. Not only are they not interested in those things, they're trying to teach them something else. I see it happen so often. You have one that's, you know, uh, one that's a Catholic and one that's a Presbyterian, and both of them have different ideas, and they both want to take them to their church. One of them wants to take the kids to the Catholic church. The other one wants to take the kids to the Presbyterian church. A lot of times what they end up doing is compromising and, all right, we'll go to the Catholic church one week and the Presbyterian church the next week, and the kids grow up so confused they don't know what's true and what's not. Right? That's what happens. So, so you, you should not even consider dating somebody who is not a Christian, but you really shouldn't consider dating somebody who's not a good Christian either. How is their relationship with Christ? I've seen a lot of, a, a lot of people like that caught in a marriage that they didn't anticipate, they didn't want, they had too much character and, and spirituality to back out of it, so they trudge on and they make the best of it. And I admire them for that, but I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for my kids, I don't want that for your kids. Which brings us then to the last one, number 40 is this. Marriage is the right person in the right way at the right time. Marriage is the right person in the right way at the right time. The most important phrase there is the first one. Marriage is the right person, but the other two matter as well. So do it well. You have the best chance in the world to do that now, young people. And that's, who we're, that's who this whole series is for. I told you that some of these things will help all of us, but later when you have a past and when the ghost of your bad choices gather and hover around you and you seek to move forward, it's going to be more difficult. Remember, don't date somebody that you, for the most part, would not marry in this moment. That's what dating is all about. Dating is there for you to decide whether or not this person is somebody that you would marry. So don't date somebody that you wouldn't marry. Dating is not for fun. Dating can be fun, but it's not for fun. It's, it's for discovery. Discovery is direct, directly related to the most important aspect of your life. Discovering this person and trying to figure out if this is the one that God has for you. If you already know you wouldn't marry that particular person, then stop dating them. It's really that simple. It's, is that easy? Not necessarily, but it's, it's simple. If you're not going to marry them, then you shouldn't date them. If they're not marriage material, then they're probably never going to be. Uh, obviously, people can get saved. God can change somebody's life, and if that's the case, and God has that person for you, then he'll work things out in his time. But don't date somebody that you would not very seriously consider marrying. Marry well. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's my prayer, it's my hope that my kids would marry well, that your kids would marry well. That's why I'm taking the time to go through this in the very first place. And especially for my kids and even the kids here, I'll, I'm going to love them no matter what, no matter what decisions they make, no matter what advice they decide to take or not take. Uh, no matter how life turns out for them, I'm going to love them unconditionally, and I, I hope you would do the same thing for your children. But a beautiful marriage makes everything else in life worth living for and worth building on. And so the whole purpose of this little series and the whole purpose of us talking through these things is to help us to have a, a marriage that God can bless and to have a marriage, find that spouse that God has for you. 
I've said it quite a few times, but over 8 billion people in the world, and God has one person for you. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. Now you, guys, now you just got to find them. But uh, using these, a lot of these things that we've talked about and looking at them from, from different aspects of it, uh, marry well. Marry well. Don't be stupid, but don't settle. God has somebody for you. Don't get desperate. Don't jump outside of his will because you've got to have somebody that you can attach yourself to. Wait for God's timing. Wait for God's will and marry well. It is the most important decision of your life, and when you marry well, life is great. Life is great. And God will bless not just you, but your children and your ministry together and your life together, and life is wonderful. Life is wonderful. Uh, marry well. Marry well. Hopefully this is something that you can go back and look at later on too, especially for some of you young people as you get more serious about it. Uh, but parents, hopefully it's something that you can help your kids with as well. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's the most important decision you'll ever make. So let's treat it that way. Amen. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the time that we've been able to take going through a few of these things and looking at the importance of marriage from the word of God. God, I pray for my kids. I pray for all the kids that are in this church, as many other parents do as well, that, that they'd marry the exact person that you have for them to marry. Their life would be wonderful, that their life would be something together that it could never be apart. And God, I pray that you just use our young people to continue to be the Christians that you want them to be, to carry on Christianity and to spread the message of the gospel with the time we have left. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.